right, thank you, Justin. Good morning. Good morning. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be in worship together. And as Justin said, we're going to continue this sermon series we started last week on, on facing anxiety. And we're going to get there in a moment. But uh, very excited about Joseph and Asanat and their, their new baby. Uh, and I wanted to point out uh, where these flowers next to me came from as well. Uh, Carol Mills is, is sitting in the back row. And I'm sure she really loves it when I call attention to her in the middle of the service. Uh, but yesterday with her family, we had a beautiful uh, service in time, celebrating the life of not only her brother, but also her father, uh, both named Bill Whiteman, both uh, passing away from, from this world uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, and so an amazing time, and, and Carol graciously uh, allowed us to use these flowers in the service this morning. And uh, I love the chance to get to know your dad uh, a little bit. I didn't know him that well, not as well as Pastor Rick did, I know, but but I love talking to him. 103 years old. Isn't that amazing? Almost 104. Would have been 104 in November. And there's not that many people that can say they were born the year the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth and watched all those losing seasons. But Bill Whiteman could, could say that. He watched them all and then saw them win, of course, in 2004. So what a great time. And, and Carol, we love you. Praying for your family. Justin just had us read those verses, and last week, uh, when you were, if you were here, I actually asked and I challenged you to start memorizing those verses over the next few weeks, to memorize this passage of Scripture, which I think would be a good practice for all of us. And so now that we're in week two, I want to see how far you've gotten. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose three of you at random, and I just want to know. Uh, how much you can say, all right? So let me pick here. You know this feeling you're feeling right now? <laughs> that's anxiety. And that's what we're talking about uh, through this series. I'm not going to do that to you, of course. But that's what we're talking about. And you know, there, there's these times in our lives where we feel anxious. And then there's these times where it really becomes overwhelming. Uh, and that's, uh, we talked about it last week, and I won't go back to all the statistics this morning. But I think we know, um, as we're in the world and as we live our own lives, the challenge uh, that anxiety faces and presents. And, and so we're here to talk about it. And there is a, a deep desire in our world for, for calm, to find peace, to find calm. Maybe you've seen one of these signs or these posters these signs that came out of uh, Britain from the World War II era. And the interesting thing about these signs is that they were printed in 1939 in anticipation that the cities in England were going to be bombed as a part of the World War II blitz. And so they printed up 2.45 million copies of these posters, but ended up barely displaying them at all. But it was this idea that, hey, we're going to get attacked. This is coming, but just keep calm and keep living your life. And in 2000, some of these posters were found in a basement of some uh, place. And over the last two decades, have become very popular. But it's interesting that they weren't really shown at all for years and years and years. But wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? Wouldn't it be great if it was just that easy? That all we had to do in the midst of everything that's happening in the world 
and all the things that are going on is just tell ourselves, oh, just stay calm and keep living. It's fine. It's never that easy. And I think the fact that we live in a culture, especially the, the American culture, that is looking for calm is easily displayed in how the meditation industry is growing. In 2019, 52 million downloads happen of apps that promise calm. And the Calm app itself has over 100 million downloads. And the projections that I, that I read are that by the end of 2022, by the end of this year, the meditation industry, it's an industry now, in the United States, will be just over $2 billion in revenue. And I don't say that to, to necessarily um, uh, speak against uh, that uh, growing search for calm. I'm just saying I think that those statistics reveal that we live in a culture that's searching for it. People want this. They are looking, and you and I are looking, in the midst of all that we have going in this world and in our lives, the busyness, the hurriness, everything else, to find a sense of calm. Now, I know what our culture says about where to find it. You could Google and you could find the apps yourself. You could read the self-help books. You could watch the daytime talk shows and find all the advice that you want about staying calm. Here's what we're doing these five weeks. We are asking ourselves, what does God say about it? Sometimes I think uh, we, we see this, this um, anxiousness and the search for calm is this sort of pop culture thing. And maybe we're just reacting to something that's happening in, in pop culture around us. But scripture talks about this a lot. And so what does God have to say about finding calm and peace in our lives? And so to do that, we're, we're resting our, our home here is in this passage in Philippians 4 and talking about some other verses as well throughout Scripture in this series that help us, help us uh, understand the concepts that the Apostle Paul brings up in these verses a little bit better. And what we're doing is each week taking a little bit different section of these verses. Last week, we looked at the very first section and said, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And as Justin said, we said this, when what uh, is unknown makes you anxious, celebrate what you know about God. And I want to give you a little bit of a preview as to where we're going in the next couple of weeks. Today, we're talking about this phrase that you see in the text, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then we're going to talk next week about the prayer section. Present your request to God, Paul says. And then practice these things he talks about. And then think about these things. In fact, those two are reversed. We're going to think about these things and then we're going to practice those things. I have no one to blame but myself on that. All right? But those are reversed. So we'll talk about those sections of the verses and those topics. But for this morning, what does Paul mean? And as he's writing inspired by God's spirit, what is God saying to us? When he, say, he writes, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? 
If you were here last week, you may say to yourself, listen, you said rejoice in the Lord, meaning we can celebrate the things we know about God because the Lord is at hand. So how also can you say let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand? I'll just a little bit of, of, home, of uh, insight to you. I really believe that in the Greek and the commentators I've been reading, they would say that that phrase, the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand, grounds both of those things that Paul says to do. So rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here's what's happening in the life of the church. Paul writes these verses, these particular verses, because of something that's occurring that he mentions just a couple of verses earlier. Uh, Church has changed a lot over the years. All right. But back in Paul's day, if you can imagine this, Back in Paul's day, sometimes church people didn't get along. Today it's different. Today church people always get along. But way back then, 2,000 years ago, sometimes church people um, got on each other's nerves and started conflict within the church and within the church community. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it or seen it within a community, but you know how it happens at work, you know how it happens at school, and you know how it happens in church if you've been in the church more than three weeks. Because conflict begins... And it spreads into the congregation, or it can spread into the congregation. And the fact that one or two people are not getting along, and then it gets talked about over coffee, and then there's sides drawn, and then there's a committee, and another committee, and a vote. And all of these things can happen with the life of the church. And Paul, in, in verse 2 of, of this chapter of Scripture, just two verses before we started reading, he reveals why he's writing this section. And he says, I entreat... Two members of the church, Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And there was something happening in the body of this, this church in Philippi, this first century church, where these two women, and we don't get the details of the conversation. And Paul goes on to say, these two women have been crucial to my ministry. They are beloved sisters in Christ, I believe Paul is saying. And, and I'm, I'm pleading with you. We said last week Paul's writing this from prison. So he's not in a place where he can come visit. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. And so he's saying, he's saying on my behalf, please plead with them to get along. Because if this spreads throughout the church, the impact that that makes on the people around you will not be good. And so he writes, let your reasonableness be known to all. Because here's what Paul knows. What I know and you know, Paul knows that when you're in the middle of the storm, it's easy to lose your calm. And it spreads. Anxiety and panic spread. And he knows that if these two women continue their conflict within the life of this young church, that it will continue to spread throughout the church. And not just will it affect the members of that particular church, but the people who are watching that church. The people who have their eyes on Christians will see it. And they will get an impression of who God is based on that conflict and uncertainty that's happening. That word... um, reasonableness, that's translated reasonableness in the, in the English Standard Version that we use. In other versions, maybe you're looking at the NIV, you may notice it being translated as gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. 
And that, ver- that, that word is often translated gentleness. But I love what uh, we've said that we're using this Max Lucado book, Anxious for Nothing, as a reference for this series. And Max Lucado, in his text, in his book, he uh, talks more about this Greek word a little bit more. And he said it's a word that describes a temperament that is seasoned and mature. It envisions an attitude that is fitting to the occasion, level-headed, and tempered. The gentle reaction is one of steadiness and even-handedness. It looks humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case. Its opposite, Lucato writes, would be an overreaction or a sense of panic. I feel like if the opposite of this word is panic... Then words like calm, level-headed, even-tempered help us to understand this term even more. Paul is saying to the church, be careful. When people look at you, when people see you, in the midst of the storm, what do they see? You know, it, it reminds me, it happens in the church. It can happen in the church where when you're in the midst of the storm, it's easy to lose your calm. It certainly happened to the disciples. This is the story that came to my mind as I thought about this verse and how panic can spread. And some of you may know this story. It's a story that's uh, fairly well known, even if you're newer to the scriptures. But there's this, there's this moment in Mark chapter 4 in Jesus' ministry where Jesus has been teaching by the water all day. And at the end of the day, after a long day of teaching, he, he sends his disciples, he and his disciples uh, decide to cross uh, the, the sea that he's been preaching on. And if you look in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, this is what we read. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I love that picture because if I think about when being caught in the storm, how panic can spread, how we can lose our calm, I think the picture I get of the disciples caught in a storm out on the sea, not just in one boat, they're all in the boat with Jesus, it sounds like, but there's other boats around them. And you can imagine the waves crashing over over the bow of the boat and over the sides of the boat. I just can't help but picture like one of those deadliest catch boats out there and the waves are crashing over the side and the the one disciple starts to panic and says it's too much and they're looking at the other boats and watching those boats struggle and then another and then another and it gets to the point that panic has spread to the point that they're angry at Jesus they're upset here he is asleep in the boat on a cushion and they wake him up and they say teacher don't you even care that we're perishing Paul was worried about a sense of anxiety spreading in the church and the impact that would have. The disciples, when they were in the storm, anxiety spread quickly. 
And I think the same thing happens to us. And I don't just mean in our congregation. I mean just in life. There is so much to be anxious over, so easy in the storm of this world to lose our calm, and it spreads so quickly. And I think in a very unique way in our day and time, there are people that know this and use it to their advantage. I really like uh, reading two authors. Their names are Chip and Dan Heath. And they've written a number of books, a number of New York Times bestsellers. They're brothers. I can't remember who works where, but one of them is a professor at Stanford. One of them is a professor at Duke. I imagine their parents are incredibly proud. And they write these uh, bestseller after bestseller. And in one of their books called Made to Stick, they talk about the power of knowledge gaps. If you want to get someone's attention, they say, create a knowledge gap and people will listen. And they said our news cycle uses this very effectively to gain attention. But what it does is it creates a sense of uncertainty or a sense of panic or a sense of anxiety within us so that we keep our eyes glued to what's happening. This is how it works. You're watching the nightly news. You say to yourself, well, I think it's about time that I go to bed. And then the person comes on the news and they say something like, are there rats in the kitchen at your favorite restaurant? Find out after the break. And you say, I don't, I don't know, I wasn't even thinking about that. But are there rats in my kitchen? In the kitchen at my favorite restaurant? I better, I better stay up a few more minutes and watch this. That's a knowledge gap. And then they come back and they say, no, it's not your favorite restaurant. You know, there's rats at some other restaurant that you don't like to go to. But do you have bed bugs? We'll find out after the break. And you're like, well, I'm not going to bed now <laughs> until I know if I have bed bugs. Those are knowledge gaps. And social media... And the 24-hour news cycle use this very effectively. Because they know if they create panic, create knowledge gaps that are filled with anxiety, people will start watching. And Paul says, church, be careful. In a world that's searching for calm, let your gentleness and your reasonableness and your even-temperedness and your level-headedness be seen by everybody. And to the disciples, we're going to see Jesus' reaction in just a moment to their anxiety and their panic. And I wonder what Jesus and the Apostle Paul might say to us today. As we see the storms that are happening in our world and in our life, there are so many different ones that we could go around and name. How are we doing, follower of Jesus? How are we doing, Christians? And letting our even-temperedness and our level-headedness and our reasonableness and our gentleness be known to a world that's searching for that. It doesn't mean that we're not people of conviction. There's an author and leader, and uh, Pastor Rick called me this week and said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of using this, this quote on Sunday. 
And I said, well, I'll use the same quote, but I have to be very careful. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Dr. Barry Corey uh, was the dean of, one of the deans at Gordon-Conwell when I was in seminary. He has now moved on to be the president of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, also known as Biola, uh, which continues to be a, a great institution teaching scripture and leading. Pastor Rick called me up and he said, I love this quote by Dr. Barry Corey, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it in my story, this idea that he writes in his books, and I'm going to use it in, in the sermon this Sunday. And I said, well, I love that idea. I've read Dr. Barry Corey's book. I love the idea. I'll use it too, but I have to be really careful. Because you may not know this, but Dr. Corey's mom is sitting here in the service with us. Well, I don't know how God works that out, that Esther Corey sits with us in church on Sunday mornings. But his mom is here. So listen, if I misquote your son in any way, you got to have my back on this, all right? You say, that preacher did a great job, Barry. But in his book, Love Kindness, which I would recommend to you, Dr. Corey comes up with this picture, and I, we read this book a number of years ago together as pastors. He says that Christians need to be people in this world of a firm core and soft edges. And I love that picture. No compromise on truth and what God says. No compromise on, on what is right and what we know to be true from Scripture and from the gospel but soft edges. And when I hear Paul say, let your reasonableness and gentleness be known to all, I feel that firm core, soft edges. Jesus with his disciples, verse 39, he wakes up. And I love that he doesn't even say anything at this point. But he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. He doesn't say anything to his disciples. He speaks to the storm. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, listen, I get it. It is really easy to lose your sense of calm and peace in the storms of this world. But you and I will never find the calm that God promises us until we begin to trust and recognize that God is with us in the midst of the storms. That he's there. And I don't know what it is that you're walking through or what it is that you're really worried about. Last week we showed you all those quotes that came in about the things that people in our church are anxious about. And there's everything from jobs to money to children to marriage. All of these sorts of things that are legitimate, thing, legitimate things to be anxious about. And yet I can't help but wonder... When we really start to, to get upset, when we really start to get anxious, if when we go and wake up Jesus in prayer, he's he would turn to us and say, why are you so afraid? I'm with you. 
And many of you have that, that card uh, that, that you got when you walked in. I'd like you to turn to the back of it right now. And I'm actually going to, I am going to ask for a few volunteers, but I'm going to let you volunteer yourself. I'm not going to pick you, okay? Um, and if some of you don't have this card and would like it, if you want to just put up your hand, uh, there's more in the front there and we can, we can hand them out. But on the back here, it says, what does the Bible say about God being near us? And what we mean by that and what we want to convey is, is who is this God that's with you in the storm? There's all sorts of places we could go through scripture to try and find uh, attributes of the God who is with you, no matter what is happening in this world. No matter how people in church aren't getting along, no matter what the 24-hour news cycle says, this God is with you. There's all sorts of places in scripture we could have gone, but we just chose a few verses out of the book of Psalms. And so if you look at this, I'm going to ask, you can open up the app on your phone, or you can grab a Bible. I'm going to ask for a few of you to look up these verses, to read them for us, so that we might be able to see what scripture says, what the psalmist says, what the poet says about who this God is that's with you in the storm. Who's willing to read a verse? Thank you, Stacy. Stacy has Psalm 18, verse 2. Who else? I feel like an auctioneer right now. All right, thank you. Um, Psalm 27, verse 1. Yes, Dorcas. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 1. We need two more. Andrew, thank you. Psalm 103, 2 through 5. I'll give you, I'll give you the hardest one. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Uh, last one, Psalm 121. Anyone? 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 Thank you, Bill. Psalm 121, verse 5. And here's what I'd like for you to do on the card. Maybe you'd write down the scripture reference. And then you can write down what we learn about God from the verse. How you doing back there, Stacy? You got it? Dealing with your anxiety okay? All right, good. All right, here we go. Psalm 18, verse 2. Thank you, Stacy. Think about the words that the psalmist uses in that one verse. Rock, fortress, deliverer, refuge, shield, the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Psalm 27. Is that here? Yeah? That's perfect, Bride. Thank you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And I love it. The psalmist says, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 46. Is that you, Dorcas? All right. Psalm 46, verse 1. I love it. God is our help, our refuge and our strength. He is our help in trouble. 
Andrew, Psalm uh, 103, verses 2 through 5. There's a lot in here, so try to capture as many as you can. What adjectives stick out to you, Andrew, as you read those verses? Hmm. Who doesn't want their soul to be satisfied? God's the one that does that. Bill, Psalm 121, verse 5. I love that image that the psalmist gives us. The Lord is the sh- your shade at your right hand. You can imagine the, the psalmist being out in the hot sun and the shade gets cast from the sun beating down on him. The Lord is there. In his book, Max Lucado tells the story from an author who said that one day he found a stump in his backyard and he got some tools and he hacked away at the stump the whole time. And it was a long day. He was sweating. He was tired. He thought this was going to be an easy job. Have you ever tried that with a, with a tree stump or even a, a bush stump? And you say to yourself, well, I can pull this stump out. And then you start hacking away and ca- sawing and cutting, and it becomes this huge project. It's very difficult. And he's been trying and, and over and over and over again. And his father came home. And his father kind of stood and watched him. And the author says that he was weary and tired And his dad looked at him and said, you know what your problem is? Uh, You're not using all your strength. And he said he got really upset with his dad. He said, what do you mean I'm not using all my strength? I have beat this this stump down. I'm sweaty. I am tired. And his father looked at him and said, you're not using all your strength because you haven't asked me to help you yet. What a great picture of how often we, all, we try to engage the storm on our own and we lose our calm and we grow anxious. And maybe the biggest problem is you haven't asked your father to help you yet. This father who is your refuge and your strength and your stronghold, who cares for you, who is in charge of the storm. Maybe you're just not using all your strength. I think this is important for us as Christians. I don't know how you interpret it, but when I read Scripture, and Scripture talks about what is coming, it gets harder for Christians before it gets easier. And so... How will we act if it gets harder in our culture to follow Jesus than easier? Paul says we should be so filled with calm and peace by the Lord who is with us 
that our gentleness and even temperedness is known to all. It doesn't mean there's compromise, firm core, soft edges. But it does mean that the world that is looking for peace and calm and satisfaction of their soul might be able to look at those who follow Jesus and say, I want to be near the person that you're near. Because that works. And I tried the call map and I paid him 10 bucks a month and it didn't work. But whatever you're doing, it works. And I want to be near it. And I think Paul's saying to the church, he's saying to you and me, when what is unknown makes you anxious, be contagiously calm. Be contagiously calm. When someone is able to bring the peace of Christ into the storms of this world, it is an amazing experience. And other people want to know where it comes from. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And as they come, uh, we prepare to close out our time together this morning. I, I want to tell you just a quick story, if I can. Some of you that have been Mount, around Mount Hope for a while, you know that uh, we have two church locations. We have one in Burlington and one in Belmont. And we used to only have a church in Burlington until about six and a half years ago when we started this congregation. And there's a gentleman that still attends the church in Burlington that has been uh, somewhat of a, a fixture in that congregation for quite a while. His name is Edgar Bartlett. I see some of you smiling because you know Edgar. If those of you who don't know Edgar, Edgar, um, he moved uh, as a young man from Barbados to the United States. And I remember one time I was helping Edgar move, and I think he has had every job that you could possibly have. I was helping him clear out his desk once, and I found a barber's license, and I found his driver's license from when he drove an MBTA bus, and I found his real estate license, and I said, Edgar, what job haven't you had? But he has done so many things uh, throughout his years. He's 98 years old right now. About 15 years ago, I think it was that long ago. It might be shorter than that. So forgive me if I'm misremembering. 12 years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. There was a woman in our church named Mary O'Brien. I used to love Mary. Mary would fill in the front desk of Mount Hope uh, when, our, when our normal uh, office manager was out of town. And she didn't know how to do anything. She couldn't run the computer you know, could barely answer the phone, but she was awesome. And she would just sit there in that desk and pray all day. I could hear her from my office. Just sit there and pray, fold the bulletins. If bulletins needed folding, we had bulletins back then. And she came to the point in her life where she um, was ill. She was in the hospital and in the ICU and the doctors had given her really bad news. There wasn't much time left. It was at a point where, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience as a young pastor walking into places like that. And I was going to visit Mary and I was walking out of the building and I saw Edgar walking in, you know, a very young, 85 years old. And I said, Edgar, I'm going to visit Mary. Will you please come with me? <laughs> and he said, sure. And Edgar and I walked into the ICU at Leahy Clinic in Burlington. And Mary was trying to put a brave face on, but in the middle of our visit, 
something happened that I had never seen happen with Mary before. She got very upset. She thought God had told her she had more time on this earth. And to be honest, I was, I was taken aback. I didn't know what to say. Because here was this woman that was always praying for me and always praying for the church and someone that I saw as, a, as, a, as someone that was, that was you know, strong in her faith. And, and, and now here she was in this hospital bed and she was crying and she was very upset and very even angry with God that she thought God had promised her more time on this earth. And now he was taking her away and she was going on and on. And Edgar is only he could when I had no idea what to say. As Mary was going on and on, he just started saying, Mary... Mary, 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 Mary. Finally, she said, what, Edgar? I said, listen to me, Mary. God created you and loves you and knows you and is waiting for you. And whether it's tomorrow or whether it's five years from now, you are going to see him face to face and he is going to welcome you into his arms and you will be in his presence for eternity. You know this is true. everything went quiet. She smiled. She said, I know. And I thought to myself, see, that's how I want to know Jesus. In my brain, I'm circling through my pastoral care classes at seminary. What do you say? What book did I read that gives me something to say when someone's freaking out about this? But see, Edgar just knew who was with him in the storm. We need to know Jesus like that so we can bring his peace and calm into the places in this world where people are anxious and worried so that they might want to know him too. Church, if we get all caught up in the storm, we're gonna look like everybody else. We have to look different and be contagiously calm. God, we come to you this morning thanking you that you are always with us in the storm. And God, this great challenge in a world that is so uncertain to let our reasonableness and our gentleness be known to all. Holy Spirit, we need your help to be reminded that no matter what happens in this world, you are with us, that you are leading us and guiding us. And so God, as we go, I can't do it on my own to bring your calm and your peace into the storms of this world under my own power in my family and in the workplace and in the classroom and in the world around me. So God, would you go with us and strengthen us to do what you call us to do. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us and let's declare the truth about this God who